still in a secure location yeah it's less secure than it used to be oh okay excellent we are back welcome to another episode of talking upstream which is literally my favorite show that comes on sundays uh mostly when when there's not any kind of football on uh i'm just kidding i'm not football i have no idea anyway so what we do on the show is we find some of our favorite creators and we pitch them ideas we talk to them about why they do what they do how they do what they do uh what their process is what their passion is and uh you know just kind of try to talk our way up to a streaming service like dylan says we're trying to talk ourselves up to getting puffy because we want we want to sell out and get puffy and just give up and uh right um yeah. but anyway before we get to anybody uh dylan how are you my friend i'm doing all right how are you i'm doing great i'm doing all great right uh I, so I, you know dylan and i we met a while ago and how we met was i would just randomly go up to him and just pitch him stupid ideas or, or ask him stupid questions about like how my brain works and one thing that i actually kind of locked onto, and i was like hey if you could uh yesterday a, a a movie or if you could yesterday a band or if you could yesterday something and then that and you know in our our little group kind of became a, a verb which was to completely erase something from the memory and <laughs> pretend yeah. that you came up with it uh and i was under the impression that i was always going to yesterday the movie yesterday because i thought that was uh clever um <laughs> and dylan never answered me uh but ironically we reached out to the person that created the movie yeah. concept yesterday we'll get into it maybe. all right dylan do you want to uh introduce who our guest of the week is yeah so our guest this week is screen yeah screenwriter and producer jack barth uh hello how are you <laughs> Mr. how are you sir Andy, thanks uh so once uh first and foremost thank you very much for taking your time to be on our stupid show we really appreciate it uh you know talking to anybody who does anything what we're trying to do really just motivates us and keeps us uh moving towards making something so thank you thank you thank you um but uh for, for people that may not know who you are would you like to let people know where you're most proud of or where people could find you um well i've, I've had an eclectic career i, I in fact i think when I sold the script, my original script for yesterday, which is called cover version, I think when the film went into production, I became the oldest ever person to have this, to sell their first screenplay and see it made into a, film, a major film. Like I don't think anyone's even come close. Hmm. I, the last closest I could find was Raymond Chandler. And he was pretty well established as a, as a novelist, obviously he wrote his first script when he was like in his fifties. And I was in my sixties when I sold my first screenplay and had saw it made into a film. And I mean, that's a pretty big film. I mean, I think everybody, you know, knows the the idea or the movie of yesterday. Um, do, do you want to get like, would you mind getting into like what, what the concept was? What was the, 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 the spark of that idea? Yeah, because it actually did come out of my life to that point and intend to the way my career had gone. I, I'm someone who's kind of like always gets bored and just moves on to some another kind of thing. And so I, you know, it, that's not really a good recipe for success in the writing world. It's really much better just like, find your lane and just stay in it until you're discovered. Uh, I was a I was a magazine writer, and then I was became a book writer, and then I I've always wanted to be in television, so I I was writing and producing TV for about 20 years, and I I actually went to film school in, uh, and and got a degree in screenwriting at Columbia. And that was that was my dream all along, but I was never able to sell a screenplay. I've written maybe 25, and I'm terrible at the the whole marketing thing. And I mean, I know I was, I've heard some of your other interviews, and these people really seem quite clued in about the business. And I was I'm really not clued in to the business at all. I'm, I've really always been an outsider and terminally shy, and just not able to pitch. And so I just had all these great ideas and I'd send them to maybe one person and if they didn't like it, I would just put it in the drawer and move on. So 
what I was thinking was I could have the greatest idea in the world. I think it's, it's been, I've said before that if I had the idea for Star Wars, I could write the script and it would be the same script that uh, the George Lucas film and nobody would, would want it. Nobody would buy it. And, and <laughs> someone proved that years ago with uh, Casablanca. They sent the script to Casablanca. They just changed the title and all the hmm. studio turned it down. It's, which is, hmm. you know, it just shows that maybe no one really knows what's good. You know, they want, they're looking for a certain niche. And I know that's a big part of the business is finding out what they want and giving them what they want and, and, you know, getting the right person attached to it and all that stuff. But I really have only been about the ideas. So I thought if I could, if I couldn't even sell Star Wars, what if something else didn't exist that would be actually cinematic? Because you always, as writers, you always try to think, how could this become a screenplay? How could this idea I had become a screenplay? And so my idea was was a, a much more visual and cinematic thing would be to 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 discover uh, that you were the only person who remembered a major music group or musician. And I thought, well, the most quintessential pop music group success was the Beatles because they weren't just these great songs, but they were also an image. They were the, like they were like these lovely boys, really funny and 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 they just hit the they hit the right tone at the right time. And I thought if 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 I could just get all the Beatles songs and I was a musician, I, I probably wouldn't be able to sell a single one. And, and so that was the premise for the film that a guy wakes up one day, he's, no one else remembers the Beatles but him. He goes out there and starts playing Beatles songs, and people are a bit meh about it. You know, there's pretty good songs in there, he sells a few, but it doesn't become Beatlemania. Um, and so that's the script that I wrote, and, and and I found a producer for that, and we were pitching it along, and it, it, we even were able to possibly clear the Beatles rights. We had an idea that, that it would cost us, I don't know, maybe $10 million to clear the Beatles rights, which is a big chunk of what's supposed to be a low-budget film's budget. Um, and then they showed it to work uh, somewhat, they used to work at Working Title, the producers who I was involved with, which is a, one of the biggest uh, film production companies in, in mm -hmm. England. And they, they pitched it, to, they were just talking about it to uh, Richard Curtis, who's of course the famous king of the rom-com, you know, probably the most beloved screenwriter in the country. And he, he, he liked the idea and he, they, he said, let's buy the script. And so they, they bought my script and I was, I feel I was misled a bit as to what they would do with the script because it was, it was a fairly airtight script. It was rock solid. Mm -hmm. I figured, well, there's not much they can do to this. Um, and so I signed a deal and it became the, eventually the film yesterday, which, which has the same premise and a lot of the same ideas, but it goes in a completely different direction where he, be, where the star, the, the person becomes phenomenally successful. So that, that's interesting though. Like as a writer who sells a script, um, how involved are you in the process? Like how involved does it depend like per project or do you have like, are you allowed to keep writing things on it as it goes along or how does that work? It all depends on the situation. In this situation, it was a worst case scenario because we're talking about someone who's very controlling and has a very strong idea of what works for him. And so I'm not actually all that upset about the fact that he turned it into one of his kind of formulaic rom-coms and took away the whole basic idea that sometimes wonderful things are not appreciated in their time. You know, he just made it into, because his life has been great and everything's always worked for him. And so he just made it into, well, of course, you know, and, you know, ignoring the fact that the Beatles were the Beatles and they were great performers and his personalities and these images, you know, it was just like the songs, the songs would make you famous overnight, even though it's 50 years later. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, I, I didn't know that at the time, but I, I, I sold, sold the rights knowing I've been around the business long enough to know that if you sell your script, they can do whatever they want to it. They might involve you. They might not. In this case, they not only didn't involve me, they actually took my name off the script and did, and you know, when they filled out the forms for submitting it to IMDb and Wikipedia and the, the film's webpage, they just erased me, which was like, well, it was legally wrong as well as, uh, mm -hmm. as well as morally wrong. So I had to fight to get all those things reinstated. Um, so really, yeah, they took they took it away from me. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, obviously, that's upsetting mm -hmm. because the idea of you know it, you know you could have the best thing ever and still not be the one. Uh, that's a way more compelling than hey, guess what? Songs from the '60s would still be 
popular now like that you know that i i can understand how your story is more compelling um but when did you like how far along the process did you realize that it wasn't really the story that you were selling because now like you were hands off you really couldn't be involved anymore so did you know about it until was it when it came out or beforehand soon before it came out i um i got a copy of the script from richard directly to his credit he sent it to me um and i could see that it, it had been changed drastically and i i'm I don't know if you're aware, but I've, made, I've gone public with my uh, complaint mm -hmm. and it's, I'm not complaining that they changed the script because honestly, that is what happens in the film business. I totally get that. What I am complaining is they stole my authorship. They, I, I, it was my idea and a lot of the scenes are mine. I don't know if I'm familiar with the film, but, the, but there's like three or four of the key moments in the film, like the yesterday where he starts singing the song and his friends think it's a, you know, don't know, think he wrote it or um the john lennon scene which is pretty integral to the film and, the, and a lot of the gags and what what happened was curtis kind of said i told a reporter that he didn't read my script until after he wrote his first draft and that got interpreted as he didn't read my script ever which as any writer would know one draft is not a script make mm -hmm. um, so anyway he basically stole my authorship and that's what i've been trying to get out there the fact that that this happens in the film business and that's what writers have to worry out worry for because yeah i got paid but i didn't get any credit whatsoever and so basically you think i get a big career bump and i got if, if, if anything the opposite because i spoke out yeah yeah well that yeah well that is a pretty pretty upsetting situation uh but on on let's let's move over to a little bit lighter notes for a sec uh now you're also ha have written some pretty uh amazing things as well you you're uh you have a writing credit for the simpsons which is you know uh, 96 that's like one of like the height of when the simpsons were at its best yeah. uh what was it like writing for like such a high profile um uh i guess animation it was the biggest animation at the time yeah and i was a huge fan so that was that was that was super great and um and I, i'm the first to admit that the draft I turned in became a thousand times better from the table, from the writer's table. They just added so many great gags. I, the episode I wrote was called um, A Fish Called Selma. Mm -hmm. It's where Marge's sister Selma marries washed up movie star Troy McClure to kind of quash some of the fishy rumors that have been dogging his career. Um, and I, I really just laid out um, the, the skeleton and they really filled it up with muscle and, and um, skin. They, they really made it great um so that was wonderful and of course that came it it, it it makes you so cynical and i'm really not cynical i really just want to be funny that's really all no. i've ever wanted to do is just be funny publicly but the only reason i got to write for the simpsons because uh the head writer at the time the co-head writer josh weinstein with bill oakley um was an old school friend and and that's just how it works and, and mm -hmm. especially with the simpsons the simpsons is very harvard centric as you guys may have noticed um and I actually wrote for the, the there are all people who worked on the Harvard Lampoon, which is their humor magazine. And I actually worked on the humor magazine at my school, which was like the second best humor magazine, but second best isn't good enough. Mm. It was the, the Stanford Chaparral. And um, so all my old friends are those guys, but we're like kind of this kind of diverse group of, of comedy guys, whereas the Harvard Lampoon guys are all like, uh, they went to Letterman and Saturday Night Live and the simpsons and they're brilliant you, know, you give them a break they're brilliant i, I give them their, their their due um so yeah that was my simpsons my simpsons adventure hmm. now when, when writing for the simpsons is that like you had a story for the simpsons specifically or were you kind of like pitching an idea that was taken by the simpsons i had i came into the office and i had to pitch ideas because no one knows they're like a couple of years ahead at that point. That was, I, I agree with you. Those were the golden years. I think the Weinstein Oakley years, because they really hit their stride and the writing was fantastic. And they were working till all hours of the night. Um, oh, sorry, turn that down. So, uh, so I came, I, Josh invited me to come in and pitch some ideas. So I wrote out maybe 10 or 20 ideas and I went in there. And they're like, nope, 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 pointing to the board. Look, that's up on the board. Oh, we can't do that one because we've got a different um, Apu episode coming up and whatever else. And so just give me 20 more. So I went home and 20 more came in there and they were shot down as well. And it just kept on going on this way. And I wasn't feeling discouraged because I was like thinking, 
this show is so great that they've covered all these bases. They thought these things out already. Um, and finally, I, after many, many of these visits, I came up with an idea and they were like, with, uh, maybe doing an episode focused on Troy McClure. And they're, they're always a little worried at that point that any, any, any episode that doesn't feature Homer strongly is a problem because he's their comedy goal. He's their go-to hmm. guy to be funny. And this was a very, this was not a very Homer episode. You can, I don't know if you, if you know the episode well, but he's kind of the secondary character in a lot of scenes in there just because you need him. You need that, that level of humor that, mm -hmm. that, that from a character that you know that well. So finally, I, I, I did come up with an idea that they say, yeah, go off and write a draft of that. And I, I went off and did that. Yeah, I mean, if you can't if you can't lean on Homer, which might be a crutch on uh, The Simpsons, uh, bringing in Phil Hartman, uh, you know, is always a, a, a special idea. Um, Everybody loves him. Yeah. Oh man, what that that is a gem. Uh, and every time you just hear, every time I hear his voice, it's just like this. I'm, I'm interested, and I got to pay attention to this episode because he is stunning. Um, now, uh, along with writing, you've also produced some pretty amazing things uh one of which i stumbled upon called stop kung fu uh which has uh you know simon Pegg and eddie izzard now that's a, a hilarious uh six-part bbc series um how did that come across you well well I've, I've been working for quite a long time with um a, a british tv presenter named jonathan ross i was thinking about he's probably the closest thing to david letterman that um that that uk has had he came he came up in the late 80s as a very young man and he just kind of he was the first to do a chat show that was more of a comedy show so i did um he wanted to he he was a fan of a book that i wrote back years ago and several years later he calls me and says let's make a tv series based on this you know idea of this book so we did that we became good friends and then i just kept on working with him through the years and he said I want to do a funny show about kung fu and here I see these guys have some ideas and they hooked me up with them and um and we put the show together and i can't believe you've seen it because it's so rare it's so hard to find even on youtube is it well i i i really had to find it like when when i found out that we were going to get the opportunity to interview you i tried to find as much of the stuff that you have you know had your hands oh. on as possible uh and that that is uh a really really funny show um okay. i did find I, I found some clips on youtube uh, and I had to subscribe to, I think, Epics uh, to, to get another episode. Uh, wow. But yeah, I, I, I suggested it. it's it's really, really clever. It's really oh, well, clever. Well, thanks so much, Zach. I mean, that's that's one that no one ever talks about. It's, it came out. My whole career seems to have been like 10 or 15 years too early for posterity. Mm. You know, like it's kind of like the people who worked on the Gary Shandling show. I don't it was such a great show in the early 90s. And yet yeah. I don't know if it's even now streamable. It, but it might be barely streamable now. Yeah, I don't know if you could find it. And yeah, I it, you know, I that was a show that I grew up watching and that's kind of what sculpted my comedy with shows like that. So, I think that's why uh a lot of your projects really hit into, you know, into my heart a little bit cuz I'm like, oh, this is what what I kind of grew up watching and, and really consuming and I I love yeah. that. And it's, you know, it is interesting about the the yesterday because yeah, I left that movie I, I saw that movie uh, opening day in the theater uh and it was something that I remember leaving there going Wow, what a cool idea! But man, just not a not a good movie, uh, and that's just you know, it's crazy. And then I kind of just became like, "Hey, we're you know, what, what would you yesterday if you could?" So um, now, of everything that you've worked on, what's something that you are the most proud of, though? Well, um, I sure do like stop kung fu. It's just silly and super funny. It's just taking old kung fu film clips and doing comedy things with them, but not like. Not like in a making fun way, in a, in a super appreciative way, you know, like how the, the doing something with the guys, the, the old guy with the eyebrows in kung fu movies, so mm -hmm. yeah, white eyebrows. Um, I did another series with Jonathan Russ called Japanorama, which is kind of like you've seen other shows where they go to Japan and they go, oh, look how crazy they are here, look how wacky. But this was actually, again, a, like a super appreciative, like these people are amazing kind of show, and and yeah, we found lots of crazy stuff. Um, but it's it's it, coming from the point of view of these people are superior. We bow down to them. They are great, and and we did three series of that uh, in in Japan. And that I think that's a probably the best of that sort of show. The best kind of like cultural funny travel show. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really strong. Um, and then some of my early books, but. Um, no one cares about books here, right? <laughs> well, Dylan, he's he's a novelist, so he he's so I, old... no, I 
you're right. <laughs> Nobody cares about books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're a novelist who's sitting there trying to pitch films. Yeah. yeah. Now, you've also directed a couple of things. You directed a couple episodes of The Fabulous Picture Show as well as uh, Funny, Fur, and fam uh, Famous. Of, of everything that you've done. That, did you hire a private investigator to learn all these things? No, I pay for IMDb Pro. So, uh, and also <laughs> I'm, kind I'm, of. I'm getting my license in uh, private investigation. So I've been creeping around for quite a while. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just, I'm a very, once I, once I lock onto somebody, I get very interested in them uh, for a little bit and then I throw them away and, and never think about them again. Right. Uh, <laughs> but no, you know, if you're we, somebody we, like me, and it sounds like you may be, I've had a real, that kind of career. It's like, I've never really been super successful or definitely haven't made much money, but but I've done all these things I've wanted to do. And that was one of them, the Fellas Picture Show. It was actually for Al Jazeera, believe it or not. It mm -hmm. was um, it was a show about world cinema and kind of like putting it into context of, you know, the political or cultural or societal issues that the film's about. But, you know, great films. I've always mm -hmm. been like a film guy. I have like two degrees in film. And I actually worked at the Film Society of Lincoln Center for my first job for about five or six years in New York Film Festival. So I really, you know, I, I, I don't want to, I don't aspire to make classy art films, but I really appreciate them. And so that was like a show that never would have been anywhere else. And, you know, no one would have paid for that show anywhere else in the world, except for Al Jazeera, which has no advertising. <laughs> well, <clears throat> but of, of every process of filmmaking or show making, what, what would you say is your favorite? Is it just the writing, like the getting down and, and coming up with ideas, or is it being able to complete something? Well, I'm not the best completer, Zach. So I'd say it's that would I guess that must be satisfying with you know, people who complete things. But um, I love the I, the kicking around ideas part. It's, you know, like like I said, I've seen I've heard a couple of your episodes, and I, I actually think that is the most fun part of the whole thing. Is just is just kind of shaping it and putting it together. I think I I think my strengths are probably like getting ideas for stories to become films. You know, as you know, there's you may have a great idea, but what's the film is the question. Yeah. And I think I'm pretty mm -hmm. good at that. Um, um, but not much of a seller, a salesman or a completer. So that would be my favorite. And coming up with great gags is always the best. I like to do hundreds of passes on everything I write to just try to make the, the, perfect, mm -hmm. the perfect word. You know, it's like, it doesn't matter, I suppose, the screenwriting because they change it anyway. But, yeah. you know, but, but coming from a writing uh, books background it's it's that's something that really is important to me it's just that you have the perfect word excellent <laughs> dylan do you have any I, I talk a lot and i apologize to everybody oh. but dylan do you have any questions for mr barth uh is there i mean i don't want to go back to the well necessarily but uh you've pulled yesterday or your original uh, cover version from uh some real life experience you ever thought about taking this real life experience and trying to do a spiritual sequel <laughs> Um, I have thought about whether the film, the idea itself is sequelable, but I think once it's done, it's not, once it's been done, the whole exciting reveal that he's, that he, no one else knows yesterday, like that's a great moment in the film. And then the scene, John Lennon, that's a great moment in the film. You can't recreate that the second time around. Um, and as far as if, if you mean, if you're referring to writing about my experience, I, I'm really uncomfortable writing about my someone who's that close to myself. Well, it would yeah. be me. And um, well, not to mention the fact that <laughs> they would never get made in, in this country. <laughs> That's fair. It's, yeah, it's completely locked to me. Yeah. Now, because you, because you were taken off of that film for the most part, are you are you able to repitch it as what it was supposed to be? No, they they. Someone asked me, like, oh, because uh, when the story came out, someone said, "What if we made this into like a radio play?" And I said, "Well." First of all, working title owns my script, so I, mm. I, that might be a, hurt, a bit huge hurdle, mm -hmm. and especially since it's such a sensitive thing to them, the, um, the way they treated me. And also, you, you couldn't really do it without Beatles music, and that's yep. going to cost you pretty penny. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I would love to see that film remade with my um, – I've got a, a friend named Mackenzie Crook, who's a really fantastic actor, and he's been directing and writing some really great television as well lately. And he was originally going to direct the film um, as our little independent team, but he he got a deal with the BBC to make a series. It's like one of the great series. It's probably not known very much in the states called the called Detectorists. It's about a couple of guys who are just 
have metal detectors and they go out into a field and they, okay. and they detect it. All it's right. Tony Jones and Mackenzie are the two stars and it's it's so British it's so great um and so he was he was he went off to do that and so we were left without a director and then it kind of like floundered now going down the idea of yesterday if if the Beatles did never exist how would that have sculpted all music though because like every musician now is like oh I'm inspired by the Beatles like that would have changed music drastically a lot of people say that, and I'm I'm not convinced that's necessarily true because they had their own and they were influenced by a lot of other people, and there was another scene of Beatle type music around in the in the '60s. You know, like Jerry and the Pacemakers and Herman's Hermits and all these kind of like not couple two or three hit wonders. I I I I punt on that one. I don't know. I think what the Beatles did when they were the first to kind of evolve, and they did it really quickly. If you look in mm -hmm. retrospect, yeah. But I, I do think other bands would have come up with the idea of evolving as well over the years. So I'm, I'm not convinced. I mean, a lot of people have said, how come they don't have, how come music isn't substantially different in the film? And I, I say, in my, it's not in my film and it's not in, in Curtis's film. And think how hard that would be to demonstrate that as well. I mean, yeah. you can't really go much it, for saying Oasis wouldn't exist or something. <laughs> Like it would be it would be a lot of extraneous work that doesn't necessarily pay off. I think. Right. Yeah, so. that would really only be for people like me, anyway. Yeah, yeah, all the whining <laughs> complainers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> if okay. uh, oh, if I got one more question at least, mm -hmm. if you could yesterday one band that is currently big today, who would it be? Well, that's a good question. I mean, would I get? Would I have the talent? I mean, because think of a band like I really like say Radiohead, but so much of it is the performance and the, the voice and the music that it, it, that the songs themselves, you probably couldn't even sell them. Um, like who's a super genius today. Uh, let me throw that back at you guys. Who would you say? I mean, uh, if I wanted a really easy job, if I wanted a really easy band to replace probably something like Imagine Dragons or black eyed peas. <laughs> just so they're gone <laughs> yeah just so they're gone get that out of here uh imagine dragons is such a sellable band and it's a kind of a unique sound in a weird way yeah uh all yeah. their all their big stuff focuses on like a single musical trick yeah, yeah. Right. that is interesting right. so it's more of a con the concept of imagine dragons is what you, you <laughs> the very concept of yeah the, the literal concept of Imagine dragons <laughs> is what i would steal <laughs> Oh, that's cool. Uh, okay, so before we get on to what we do in the show, uh, which is uh, Jack's favorite part, um, I do have one last question. If you if you had like a blank check, right, you could do whatever you wanted to do, what what, what concept would you work on? Well, I've got a couple series ideas that I've been pitching um, unsuccessfully, and either of them I think would be really could be really massively huge um, if anybody would pay attention. Um, so it would be one of these two things I've that I've got now, like for the kind of multi-part, multi-series shows that we're, you know, my only thing is, my thing is to do things kind of like a low rent Charlie Kaufman kind of way, where mm -hmm. the idea is really out of, outside the box, but then you rein it in and make it human, um, which he doesn't always do. Um, so it would be one of these. I mean, I, I want to get into specific. No, no, no. I bet I, I, a good tip though for your. I know you have a lot of probably writers who watch this because I, I wish I could have watched this when, um, when I was a young writer. And that was that is one of the things I've been pitching. I wrote a pilot episode, which is the first episode um, of a series, but it's very conceptual. And a, a really smart friend of mine who's a, who's a film director, he said, I, I like the, um, the treatment of the series. But I think the pilot episode is not indicative of the series and it doesn't have all the, the humor that will be in the series. You should have written episode five or something. And he was totally right. I totally mm. screwed that up. Um, so that is my advice. Write the best episode, not just the, the first episode mm. necessarily. Oh, that, yeah, all that's right. smart. You know, uh, I get yeah what what if you what if you got picked up for like an like an mcu like big blockbuster budget like what like what would you like which one of those would you like to try to tackle in in your style um well that's a good question do you mean like another person's film or do you mean one of my ideas 
I don't have anything really huge. In my yeah, I guess like another person's film, like how Edgar Wright was uh, originally trying to do like a smaller scale yeah, Ant Man yeah, right. or something like that. Is that what? What there? You have like a uh, like an, an it's idea? Not a shame for, too. Yeah, that I would have. <laughs> I would have loved that. It would have been yeah. 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 Uh, that's a really good question. I wish I'd been I'd, I'd given been able to give it some thought because um I don't know. I mean, I also think about mining great old films that are now so old that like most younger people don't know them at all and doing them in a proper modern way. You know, they, they couldn't be quite done and not just because of special effects, but just kind of sophistication and so on. And um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a great question, but I don't have a great answer. Do you guys have, have well, an idea Dylan, what you would like to do? Dylan has a Highlander script that he's been working on uh, that, that is set back in like farm, like old farmer times. And I think that's uh, old farmer times. Like people don't farm anymore. I I like, farming today. It, it's a farmer little times like 5 a.m. Yeah. before the sun rises. <laughs> yeah. Before daylight savings time. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I think that's funny. Uh, no, I, I think the shadow, I, I would like, I would like to redo the shadow in like a, in a real clever way. Uh, I don't have a pitch, but more of like a noir style. I, I do going wanna, back to the radio series. Yeah, I would love yeah. that. And that's kind of our thing anyway. I, I do want to yeah. send a Terminator back to the Wild West and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Where they're like, true. we're not we're gonna stop going after John Connor. We're gonna go after his great, great, great grandpa in the 1880s. So instead of Clint Eastwood cleaning up a town, you got the Terminator cleaning up a, mm-hmm. a town. Yeah. That's a great well, actually a really good idea. Just don't call him the Terminator, you can do it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Dylan, do you have any more questions, Mr. Barth, before we uh, start pitching ideas and make bigger fools of ourselves? I think we kind of covered what I had. Excellent. Okay, uh, Mr. Barth, so we're going to pitch to you uh, two original ideas that we have come up with, uh, uh, as original as ideas can be anymore. And uh, preferably, we would like it if you would just choose one of those for us to work on and see what that thing turns into. And I'm going to let Dylan pitch first. Yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> okay. All right, uh, so... You've got a washed-up minor league stock car racer, uh, Kale Lonehart Jr., something like that. Um, after a bad race or something along those lines, he drinks in desperation, finds like a 120-year-old corn whiskey that was cursed by an Appalachian witch, <laughs> passes out, wakes up in the 1920s, and finds a gig as a prohibition driver in Appalachia running moonshine for like the people brewing it there. And then you have the question of, like, does he want to go home? Does he want to screw with the timeline a little bit? Like, is he going to yesterday NASCAR? Is he going to yesterday NASCAR? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, uh, minor league stock car racer gets sent back to Prohibition and becomes a bootlegger. Oh, I love that. But it's successful, like much more success than he's having than he has in the current day. Okay. Yeah, that's a, we're gonna a, hear both first. Yeah, no. please. All right, so I had this idea to do a uh, kind of like a sci-fi thriller comedy, uh, mostly focused around the HR department of uh, this new <laughs> nuclear um, like engine company, and the way it works is. Um, there is this uh, new style of a nuclear sub that just one day goes missing and people don't know what it is. If it was destroyed in, in, you know, to start a war, if it was taken for whatever uh, abducted by aliens, um, one lonely HR person does not want this company to suffer. So they do their due diligence and what they discover is that the submarine has been shrunk. A lot of people thought it was sunk. Until you add HR to it, shrunk. Basically, a film out of pun. Hey, I mean, we're, yeah, this is season two. We're getting, we're stretching kind of thin now. Uh, okay, so Mr. Barth, uh, which one of these two weird things, uh, whatever they're going to be, uh, would you like us to work on? Probably out of punishment. What's your running score right now between the two of you? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm leading by a, I'm leading by a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, I don't want your pity. I think it's the same. It's I not it's about the- pity. I, I just wanted to make sure that Dylan wasn't creaming you because I, I like Dylan's idea better. I just yeah. think, I, I, I don't see the drama yet in your, I mean, obviously you build it up, but um, I like this, I like the whole Southern Gothic kind of noir stock car prohibition guy. I mean, I know it would be a bit, how much comedy are we talking about in your, in the stock car guy? <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's witch enchanted moonshine. It would, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be, yeah, it wouldn't be a bleak story by any means. But you would t- treat it with the drama that it it deserves. 
Yeah. And it's an inherently goofy concept. So right. and old, old Appalachia is a scary place too. So, well, yeah, and I, I see it like being dark and, you know, the sun sets early because the mountains and, yeah. I, and, and lots of like just scary people everywhere. And, and it, I just, I, I think if you, if you take a crazy idea, but treat it seriously, you're, you, you can really engage the viewer more. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I like that idea. A lot because you got you can have action scenes with the driving and and you obviously you know he's the whole idea also I've always thought I've, I've got a lot of time travel ideas in my mind or or similar things to that and and I, I feel that so many time travel movies the person really enjoys going back in time or forward in time and then they have to decide oh will I do I want to go back to where I, I have a choice I can go back to where I was or I can stay here and it's like what if I go back there if I stay here, then my child will never be born, and I can't mm-hmm. face that. And I actually wrote a, a script where he decides, well, fuck it. <laughs> I, 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 I'm having a much better life now. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry my child's not going to be born. But, you know, I might have I, a better I, one. I told, um, my, I told my daughter that to her face. I was like, if I can ever time travel, <laughs> you will not exist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I know my daughter probably would not like that much, but seriously. <laughs> They always wimp out, and they always, you know, it's like, oh, he'll be this character will become unsympathetic if you do that. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people will go, well, actually, I might make the same choice, you know, because he's having a much better life. Isn't it better to just have a much better life? Yeah, you know, I agree. It's okay. It, it, know that you're going to have a better life when you decide not to have a child. So, yeah, it, so sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's always the people that stay in the past. It seems like they sacrifice themselves. It's always right. like the sad parts. Like, you're going to stay? But how could you stay? Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. You uh, go. So I, yeah. <laughs> sorry to cut you off. I've got to fight the good fight here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I do think it should be – that would be nice. a nice thing to do is to not have him have this dilemma. He's just like, this is great. And maybe he has to fight not being pulled back. I don't know yeah. how it works. Maybe the, the witches – grandmother offers him some moonshine and he looks at her and it's like wait a second he just has to keep drinking the moonshine to yeah. stay anchored in the 1920s and then he's like wait a minute if i run out of this yeah okay we the, the final i have to find, that I have to find the witch yeah. so he has to find the witch 120 years ago in the past and be like this isn't going to make a lot of sense to you you curse and she goes no 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 no. i i exist outside of time right i know what you were gonna add like that right. sort of thing Right. See, this is part of the pitch meeting where you say silly things, and then you kind of have to kind of mm-hmm. come in for a landing. But um, because <clears throat> I do feel like it should be treated logically with some seriousness, even though it can be light and it can it, well, it, it can it, maybe he does invent a proto NASCAR. I mean, obviously they had car races back then, but what what like how did NASCAR change car racing? Did it just kind of like make it more organized? Well, Nat- NASCAR uh, was originated from bootleggers mm-hmm. that that actually, you know, had their own route. So I guess if if he were on the cusp of that, he'd be the first NASCAR, uh, whatever, you know, whatever stock car champion guy. You could you could resolve the time travel conflict pretty early on, and then have him try to invent NASCAR earlier than normal, and everybody's yeah. like, and everybody's like, what are you talking about? Driving cars fast, like. No, it'll never catch on. Yeah. And he's still not that good of a driver because like he, yeah. like, he doesn't have an automatic. What if they crash? People will hate that. <laughs> All right. So it looks like uh, we're going to choose Dylan's idea and work on this uh, weird witch-infested moonshine NASCAR time trip. Um, okay. So, Mr. Barnes, so you, you have an idea. You have a stupid idea, and it just clicks you. I'm going to work on something that's about time travel, NASCAR, moonshine. What What's, like, the first thing that you work on? Do you – are you like a uh, like Dylan likes to do bullet points? He tries to hit like here's where these stories should go. Uh, some people work on their arc structure. What's like your in- initial process? Well, even though I think of myself as being as someone's breaking all the rules, I actually do believe in three act structure to a large extent, and I would kind of break it down into three acts. The first act being the first, generally the first twenty five percent. Second act being the middle fifty, and the third act being the last twenty five percent. And I know there's all these books that tell you you need like an inciting incident. You need uh, at the end of Act One, and at the end of Act Two, you need a knot where it's like it's tied so tight they'll never get out of it. And then in Act Three, they get out of it. But I, I don't think you need to do that. But I do think you need to to show that it's a film by putting it in three act structure. Like first act, he's 
back in the 1920, he realizes the situation and he starts trying to figure out what he's going to do. And the second act, it all develops. And the third act, the decision to stay and the big race. I guess there has to be the big race, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. The first NASCAR race, he has to, you know, is he going to win that? And maybe he doesn't because who cares? <laughs> maybe if he goes too fast, he goes back to the future and he can't win if he goes slow well, he, enough. You could kind of make a reference to that, actually, because yeah. I don't think that's anything that's not kosher is it you can you can say oh but there's a film back to the future I mean, if i go 86 miles an hour yeah they're like what i've never heard of that <laughs> you'll never hit that speed are you yeah. kidding what's a gigawatt <laughs> yeah. uh yeah uh okay so well when you have an idea like this and you have like and it's kind of like just the, the the very start of an idea how do you know what it's going to be do you set out to write like a feature film do you do you set out to do like a like a sitcom like a <laughs> my voice is cracked that's cool um like or, or do you let like the story kind of do what it has to do well that's a good question i want i'm someone who as i said i listen to some of your podcasts and i do or what do you call them they're not podcasts what are they no they're podcasts yeah, yeah sure okay. um and the people you that you spoke to and the ones i saw were really clued in they like lived in la or they were connected to LA and they and they knew the business and they knew about the pitch and I'm not like that I really just care about like the script and I know that sounds really noble but it's bad because it doesn't it doesn't lead to success but but that really is all I care about is what form it should take and I don't care if it's you know I've, I've written some things that especially in the past that would never fly today for, for various reasons yeah um, fair enough um I would I would start thinking though about like doing things in terms of series because it seems like that the money's coming from the streamers and the streamers want series and and theatrical releases seem to only seem to be going anyway to where there will only be the big films you yeah. know you're gonna get a small film on except at a film festival which is just a vanity thing it's not going to actually be viable so i'd probably try to see if it could be a streaming series the last two things as i said i worked on were both streaming series is this one could be, I mean, the NASCAR yeah. one, because you can have lots of, you know, race in every episode and blah, blah, blah. I was talking yeah. to my, my writer friends, we had, we'd go weekly Zoom and they were saying how everyone, the, the buzzword now in the pitch meetings is uh, all filler, all killer, no filler. And it's like, but you're taking a 90 minute idea yep. and trying to stretch it into eight hours. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's actually that's actually a, a, a pretty uh, interesting point you brought up. Now, can can any movie really, if you're using a three act structure, could you really turn it into like say a nine episode series uh, just by, I guess, working on it? Can, can anything really be a series from a movie? Not anything. But I was just reading. I didn't even realize recently that the film, the show Succession, was originally a feature film, hmm. and, and and there's an example of one that they really you know, killed it. They just, oh, yeah. these, these characters all deserve a lot more breathing space. Um, and they got it. And and it's a brilliant series, I think. I think it's yeah, that, that is one of the best, like, well-written shows I've watched recently. I, I, I'm yeah. in the middle of re-watching it right now. Yeah, yeah. So it can happen, but not everything can become a series. I, I, especially, I mean, the things that really get my, get on my nerves are documentaries that gets, mm. you know, it's like, it's hard enough to watch a one 90-minute documentary, but to, I don't know to, to see eight hours where it's just kind of a lot of repeats and and so mm -hmm. on it, it, it's it's unbearable so they've kind of killed that format yeah. anyway coming back to what you're talking about um yeah i i would say i might try and see if it could be a multi-part series but i the idea is the idea and it, it you know a lot of my ideas are twist at the end and, and twist at the end doesn't really work with a multi-part series as much as it works with a feature film true so with with this idea, I guess once you have like the idea, then like the first thing you think is like, okay, this I guess let's just work on this as it's a as a film. So Dylan, let's work on this as though it's going to be a film. It yeah. feels like a, it feels like a like a film. Sure. Uh, yeah. So we'll do that. So we're gonna we're gonna put in the three act structure now. So you have the idea. How how like far into the process do you work on like your character development? Like I, we've talked to some people and the, the thing they need to, to know the most is who are these people? Um, we've talked to some people and I go, I get to the end. I need to know what the end is and then work back there. What What is like the next kind of step that you take? I know a lot of people have a process. I, I kind of vary it depending on what the idea is. Um, for example, if it's like one of these streaming series, I try to think, well, how does it play out over 10 episodes? 
you know, like what happens in each one and how does it build and how do you get all killer, no filler? Um, and the characters are obviously super important in that, maybe even more important than in the film because the film can be driven by action or plot. Um, but in a multi-part series, you need the characters to people to care about the characters and engage with them. Um, I would say I, I I very rarely will just sit down page one and start writing a script. I did that one time, and it, in fact, I've done it twice, and both times around page forty, I I had to, I just stopped because I thought oh, yeah. I don't know what to do now because mm -hmm. it's so much nicer to have a treatment in front of you that you you got you don't have a blank page, you got the treatment, yeah. you can just plow through and get a first draft done, and then kind of see what you need to do with the characters and and and, and everything else. When I did a cover version. I actually wrote like a 10 page treatment for that. Um, it was, it, it, the final script ended up being almost exactly what was in that treatment. I mean, very few changes. Mackenzie worked on, Mackenzie Crook worked on some of it with me and he came up with some really great things to kind of like tighten up scenes. So like two scenes become one and, and how you learn something is more cinematic than, than the way I had just, oh, someone tells him. Um, and so, yeah, that one was was really a plotting step-by-step -step treatment. But sometimes it really will be just um, let's explore and play with this stuff. I mean, Richard Curtis, for all his foul deeds, is 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 a brilliant writer, and he 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 says uh, he does these things where he just has a conversation with the two characters uh, for forty-five minutes and just kind of has a scene with them where they just talk it up and talk, and it gives him an idea of what they're all about and how and how to boil it down and that's a that's a pretty good tip so I, i'm someone that uh i i like to have probably three or four projects in front of me that i can kind of go in between and i maybe have an idea it's better for one thing or whatever uh dylan i think it, it's uh he's more focused he spends a lot of time on on one thing at a time uh, at least for the sake of this question, uh, what, what, what are you someone that needs a, a couple things to work on because you have that kind of comedic mind, or do you try to really focus on one project at a time and give it all you got? Well, and again, everything I say needs to be needs to put put through the filter of he hasn't he's only told one script in forty years. Um, I have like right now a list of like twenty five ideas that I think are all great, and I kind of. Some of them I've, I've done as completed screenplays. Some of them are just ideas. Some of them are treatments. And I try and I just, when I'm kind of just looking for ideas, I go into there, I, it, you know, obviously fresh ideas come along, but I go into there and think, well, what can, what, if I got any fresh ideas of how to develop this thing or, or even just to rewrite a script that already exists. And so I, I, I have, a, you know, 25 balls in the air at once, um, but they're not always, sometimes they, I put them away for a year or more. Nice. All right. So let, let's hop back into this to this idea. So we have this guy who uh, we got to kind of work on him a little bit and he needs to have some kind of drama in his uh, present life. Right. To make the going into the past something it needs to be a big deal. So, Dill, what do you think needs to happen to this man in the beginning? What kind of thing needs to be going on with him so that when he goes to the past, it's either better or questionable? If if we want to make him a driver where he just likes the act of going fast and like outrunning people, then we could make it. We, we want to make the, if we want him to stay in the past, we want it to be more appealing. So if we want to like have him somehow be like restrained by the structure of the sport or like the format of NASCAR, where like he, he has some sort of negative impression of like the rules as they stand, or there's some sort of internal politic that, makes it harder for him to just drive yeah so is he like a like a cheater of sorts like uh like if he were a baseball player would he be like a juicer kind of thing I or i don't think he's a cheater i just or is he like that, a bad boy outside of the outside of the the squared circle yeah i think he has trouble i think he has trouble fitting into their their rigidity right so that now he's running from something uh right that that's how he's gonna go back in time Right. Because that, that's always kind of how it goes. He's he's like, you know, on the run from something and then yeah. uh, booms, you know, uh, whiskey, uh, something. And then he's back in time and he's got to figure out first. He's got to learn that he's back in time, which is always that cool scene. Um, but is he running from something or is it an accidental time travel? <laughs> I think it's accidental. I'm seeing him like rage driving, which I don't endorse. But, you know, he, he's like 
He's like, oh, I'm stuck on a, you know, driving is great. I'm stuck on a track. So I go through these Appalachian mountain back roads and I take them intentionally faster than I should because I don't value my own existence beyond the feeling I get when I go fast. All right. And now, somehow he like comes across a witch like crossing the road and maybe she's leading like a goat or something. Mm. She's like, a you know, mountain woman, something like that. And he maybe swerves to miss her and ruins his car or something that she has to like, you know, I've taken, I've taken you in. You owe me. So, you know, and you get, you get that thing. And, um, is that's it, is, how he obtains the whiskey. Is it a curse or is it like a present? Uh, or does I mean, he like steal it? Different sides of the same coin. Like, I mean, is, is it given to him under like negative, uh, uh, uh premise? Like, a, you know, is it like under a, a bad guys or is it like hey you've earned this i wonder this. if i wonder if the witch is just like well you're complaining about nowadays here drink this and uh, oh, like, oh, well, all right sure hey if you if you don't like being here i'll send you somewhere else all right uh what, what do you think mr barth how, how, which of these kind of things should be like kind of a push to get him right before he goes into the past <laughs> does that any of this jive with you I, um, yeah, I don't know that this is the most important thing, though. I, I think oh. you, it'll probably come to you, and, and it'll probably it should just be a, a funny scene to watch, an interesting scene. Like, yeah, maybe he swerves to avoid the lambs, and he hits her, and he thinks he's killed her, and she goes flying through the air, yeah, you know, hundred yards, and then she just kind of like he's like, oh man, and she what? gets up and starts I, floating. I don't know something. Yeah, or like clearly, oh, I guess I didn't kill her, but she is floating. All right. Well, um, I guess I guess what I meant does does he know that he's going to go back in time? Well, if no. he does, then you lose the kind of fun of he just kind of wakes up with a hangover cool. from the corn liquor and and he's in nineteen what year twenty yeah nineteen twenties yeah. yeah. All right. Cool. I'm gonna. Um. All right. So Dylan, where where is he in the world? Like, where is this? Is this uh this, this Southern Appalachia? Where? Uh. Yeah. Probably like. Oh man, I, I was imagining Georgia for some reason. Because they have great tax structures there, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> they you know they do. <laughs> I didn't do that research, but it turns out they do. Uh all right, I'm into that. Now, what does he have a family? Is he leaving something behind? And like the past is better for him, or because um, that, that is intriguing what, what Mr. Bar said. Like, if you have something and you have to decide, like, <laughs> I'm gonna leave my wife and child because this is just a better life. I think that's strange. Like he's driven everybody away or like they've left him or something along the lines. Cause if, I don't know if the, if we make the central conflict, does he stay in the past? Then we wouldn't need him to have something that could potentially draw him back into the present. You know, yeah. like it, it can't just all be like, man, I had nobody back there and I didn't like what I was doing. And I mean, it's the 1920s, but like, yeah. So what? Yeah. So if he's like a if he's like a bad dad or something, and he's like, you know, if I stayed here, I would have never, I would have never been a bad dad to begin with. Uh, Maybe his son is a complete jerk. He's like a bully, and but you know he's Biff, and and just sort of. I love that. If he didn't exist, and 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 I know I I screwed up with him, but it's too late. He's you know he's too old to change now. Yeah, he's a punk. I can't. His, ex, his ex-wife and her new husband ruined his ruined his son. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right, I, really bad. Oh, I love that. Uh, and that's <laughs> even him, like, not really even owning up to responsibilities. Like, well, I guess I could go back and work hard and try to fix this, or I could just erase it. Uh, yeah, I'm into that. Okay, so then the middle chunk of this movie is uh, this this person in the past, and uh, they're, they're deciding if they want to spend time in the past, and they're uh, erasing phenomenon, right? And they're kind of like the prep, the, the precipice for, uh, uh, I guess, stock car racing. And he's like, uh, "Hey, I, uh, <laughs> like, what, what, what would you like to see him doing in the middle of this, Dylan? In the middle of the uh, the movie in general? Yeah, like the second act. Like, what, what would you like the second act to kind of be mostly encapsulating? It? I, I, I think we should probably have some sort of conflict that he gets into when he's in the 1920s. Like, um, I kind of like the idea that he gets sent back, and he's like. Oh, I have. Wow. Okay. Um, I guess this is what I'm doing now. And for he just immediately is just like, I'm just a, I'm just a dude who drives cars. I have no idea what sent me back in time. He gets a job at like a bar or something. And then there's maybe he comes into conflict with some locals. And that is kind of like the, and he uses some, some of his modern day 
what we consider common knowledge, but was unknown to them back then to like appear to be some sort of super clever kind of like mm. roguish nice. someone. And he's now, like, I just know that when you mix X and Y together, it creates Z. And they're like, I don't know who you are, but it's like, what's nitro? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Uh, okay, their gas tank. Well, it turns out if you put sugar in their gas tank, it goes really badly. Yeah. Huh. Huh. Um, I like the yeah. idea that he's not that bright. Like he's not a. He's not like if he were a great mechanic. I bet if you actually got to a level where a student, you're pitching to a studio, they probably say, "What if he were like a brilliant, a really great mechanic?" And then he goes back and he can invent cars that don't exist yet and things that don't exist for cars. And you think. Well, that's too easy. You see, then become successful. Oh, what does that sound like? Um, <laughs> I actually wrote another time trial movie about a guy who goes back to the 1930s, but he's not, he's like a normal guy. He's like me. He's like, I, I don't know how to invent television. You know, it's like, no. I know it exists, but I don't know how to actually make a television. And so he just can't, there's nothing much he can do. He ends up yeah. just betting on World Series that he remembers. Yeah. yeah, that that was like one of our one of our ideas is the guy goes back and past and he couldn't do anything because like his money is from now and That's everybody's it, like, yeah. what's this money? Like, what, yeah. why is this orange? <laughs> Who's you know what's that? Um, all right, so does, does do we do the trope where he meets someone in his family but from a go? Is that is that something you like to see in this, Dylan? We could. Um, that might has a good chance they'd still be there. That's that's fair. Uh, a lot of a lot of old families in that area, yeah. um, and that gives him something familiar to yeah. kind of like, you know, relate to, whereas it would, it wouldn't just be strangers. He's like, that's my great grandpappy. So he just tells him he's his cousin. Hey, that's my cousin over there. It's like, I don't remember you. Listen, in, <laughs> listen, I'm your great grand grandson from the few, from a hundred years in the future. And the, the guy's just like, not the craziest thing I've heard from someone in this bar. Sure. Get on behind the counter. <laughs> That's the that's the whiskey talking. Uh, I, I think I think this I think this would benefit from taking a lot of the standard kind of time travel tropes and just kind of like, yeah, yeah, sure, okay, yeah, we're doing a time travel movie. We're not gonna we're not gonna worry too much about the nitty gritty time travel stuff because nobody in this movie cares. Yeah. All right. Cool. So that's I think great we got, yeah yeah. I can go into a diner and ask for a Pepsi free, and they just hand <laughs> him a Pepsi. A Pepsi. <laughs> Not the, you know the old Michael J. Fox joke. And it's like, how how much? It's like you wanted this free. You said you it's wanted like, it for free. Yeah, all right. <laughs> All right, so what we got to do is we're going to take some time and, and really kind of work on these tropes of time travel and make them actually funny instead of tropey. Uh, and you can find us doing that kind of stuff on Twitching Upstream, which is our Tuesday show, where we take you know ideas that we come up on here and then with the help of our audience, sculpt them into something and work on them until they're actually something uh, that can be watched or, or listened to or read. Um, Mr. Barth, thank you so much for spending your time with us. We really appreciate it. It is honestly just conversations like this that really push us and give us that fuel to keep creating and keep trying to, you know, do what you're doing, uh, selling a, a script and uh, being let down by it's really, which I think is okay. Yeah, that's, that's, that's our, that's our next step. We just got to be disappointed in our own work later on. Uh, okay. Well, yeah <laughs> uh mr broth uh where can people find you what would you like anyone to to watch or to listen to or or to investigate for you read all about my my dispute with richard curtis just google that all right i'll i'll put as many show links that uh as possible down there <laughs> I've so also whenever... put the original script for cover version up online um you can find oh. a link on twitter um because cool. a lot of people don't do that uh but i just wanted to prove to people that there actually wasn't a good script yeah, right. yeah so if you're watching this or listening to this, you'll find the show notes to all that um so you'll, you'll find the links to all that in the show notes down there uh just want to thank all of our friends out there people on patreon uh for helping us you know do what we're doing we love that uh you can see our new show powerpoint showdown where things are going crazy over there uh and also our award-winning podcast no time to binge where we watch just the first episode last episode of something and make up the middle uh mr barth once again thank you so much we really appreciate it um Hi guys. Yeah, you're you're amazing. Oh. Thank you so much. Uh, on that uh, that uh, stock car movie sounds good. Oh, no. Don't worry, we're we're going, we're going to. Uh, Dylan, do you have anything to say to anybody before we get out of here? Nah. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, until next time, everybody. He has been Mr. Jack Barth. He has been Dylan Terry. I have been Zach Wiseman, and you've been great. Have a great day. Bye, everybody. Bye.